0: I've noticed our uh, episodes have been getting a little longer. Yeah, they have.
1: Do you think that's a problem? Maybe a little. Who
0: got the truth? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Who got the truth now? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Is it you? Sit me down, say it straight Another story on the way
1: Welcome to episode 12 of Acquired, the podcast where we talk about technology acquisitions that actually went well. I'm Ben Gilbert.
0: I'm David Rosenthal.
1: And we are your hosts. This episode, we're going to try and do something a little bit different. Today, we're going to talk about
0: one that didn't happen at all.
1: Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> this This week, we're going to cover um, Facebook's attempted acquisition of Snapchat for $3 billion a while back
0: in uh, November of 2013
1: yes and it'll be cool because we uh, we have um, not only the deal didn't go through but we have uh, the benefit of, of history to help us grade um, what would have happened if that that offer actually went through Well, we
0: know we know what would we know for a fact what would have happened otherwise if Facebook didn't acquire snapchat yeah, that's actually easy
1: all right a few things before we get into it one please rate us on iTunes. It's how we grow the show and it's how we gain more listeners like you. Um, we uh, we also really appreciate any social sharing. If you like the show, um, please shout it out on Twitter or Facebook. And uh, David has an update with a, a new thing we're trying. Yeah,
0: we have a new innovation here at Acquired. We just launched a Slack community uh, that we're experimenting with. So if you'd like to join us on Slack, uh, go to our website, acquired.fm. Uh, and from there, you can sign up and join our uh, community on on Slack, and uh, we're uh, we're gonna have some fun with it, and see have some fun with it, and see where it goes. Um,
1: yeah, we, we plan on doing kind of um, like episode discussion in the week following. Um, we get a lot of email from from people directly to us, and we we figure you know, that actually could be pretty beneficial to just have that in a, a group context. And Slack seems nice, like a nice way to do it because a lot of us are, are already on it for our, our work day in and day out. We can just kind of passively subscribe and, and, um, you know, kind of watch the conversation.
0: Yeah. And, uh, we'd love to see, uh, where it goes with the community. So you can use it, you can DM us with, uh, with feedback or questions, um, or just, uh, just post in the community.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, also a good good place for if you have ideas for uh, future shows that you want us to do. Um, if you think you'd like to be a guest on the show, uh, we've got a, a few great guests coming up that we're super excited about. So um, more great stuff to come. All right. Well, David, this is the perfect time to talk about one of our favorite companies, Statsig.
0: Yes. When we had VJ on ACQ2 earlier this year, they were already a pretty impressive kind of Series B stage startup with a killer team and early product market fit. But what's happened since and the scale that they're operating at now is pretty wild.
1: This is where we get lucky in being very choosy with our sponsors. Sometimes these things happen to them while we're mid-flight. Yes.
0: So I asked them for some fun stats. In the past month, Statsig shipped actual live product experiments to over 1.2 billion end users. Now,
1: Visa does 8,600 transactions per second. So that's, what, 200 times as much throughput at Statsig than at Visa? On the customer side, Statsig added arguably
0: almost all of the most important AI companies in the world this year, including Microsoft, Atlassian, Anthropic, along, of course, with regular old companies like Notion and UiPath and Lattice and Brex and friends of the show Rec Room. The team also kept shipping super fast. At the start of the year, they had just one core product. Today, they're a full-fledged product understanding platform. They have dedicated feature flagging, warehouse-native experimentation, and product analytics.
1: Yep. So if your team wants the best platform in the world for making data-driven product decisions, you should reach out statsig.com acquired. And as always, there is special white glove onboarding for all acquired listeners. Our huge thanks to Statsig. All right. Time to get into it.
0: All right. Well, we tried to get guests for today, but both, uh, both Zuckerberg and Spiegel were, were booked up, unfortunately. Yeah. Or, or so we assumed. <laughs> All right. I'm going to dive in with acquisition history and facts. Um, I'm going to... This might take a little longer because this is a long story here. David, do not scare them away. <laughs> All right. So 2010, Evan Spiegel is a sophomore at Stanford and uh, he has just recently moved into the Kappa Sigma fraternity house that he had joined last year at the end of his – the fraternity he joined at the end of his freshman year. And um, across the hall, uh, a guy named Bobby Murphy, who's a senior, uh, is living there. And so they uh, they start hanging out. They become friends. And Murphy recruits Evan. Uh, Bobby recruits Evan to work on a social app that he had an idea for inspired by Google+. Plus what (laughs) unsurprisingly that goes nowhere time goes on and uh evan uh evan's still at stanford um and he's actually he's he's doing great at stanford um so he's an undergrad and uh he ends up majoring in product design and david kelly becomes his advisor uh david kelly's the founder of the d school yeah founder of the d school at stanford and professor there and founded Ideo before that Um, and the D school, I have a bunch of personal history here having gone to Stanford for business school. Um, the D school normally only admits, uh, grad students like undergrads can't take D school classes. Um, but somehow Evan manages to get David to be his advisor. Wow! And that's not the only cool thing he does as an undergrad. He manages to, uh, Uh, find his way into becoming an auditor for a class at the business school, uh, Strategy and Management 354, I believe, called Entrepreneurship and Venture Capital, uh, which was my favorite course in business school. It was awesome. It was taught by Peter Wendell, um, who was one of the founders of Sierra Ventures and was a longtime venture capitalist, uh, and then co-taught by Eric Schmidt and Raymond Nazier, who was... um, uh, Google's first head of uh, head of communications, uh, and worked for Eric uh, both at Novell before Google and at Eric, and it was an amazing class. We had amazing guest speakers come. Um, people like Meg Whitman, um, like Biz Stone, like Peter Fenton, um, Scott Cook. Uh, and Scott Cook, when he came the year Evan was there, actually was so taken by Evan, by the young Evan Spiegel, that um, he hired him to be an intern to work on a, on a project that he wanted to launch at, at Intuit.
1: Wow. So, so no doubt a special individual, even before Snapchat.
0: Even this was years before Snapchat. You could tell this kid had talent. He was going places. Um, so uh, that summer after, uh, after Evan's sophomore year, um, he and Bobby team up again. They start a new company. Uh, this time, it's a website for aspiring college uh, people, high schoolers navigating the college admissions process. It's called Future Freshman.
1: Why does this story f- feel super familiar? I feel like I've seen a movie about it, like a, a f- kind of a failed idea before the big idea that took off. Maybe maybe co- went to college together. Um, something about somebody believing it was actually their idea, laying claim. Yeah, was
0: there? Uh, there were some twins who. Uh,
1: yeah, they might have used a super similar law firm to yeah. the law, <laughs> the one here. I'm we're jumping ahead, but
0: obviously referring to the social network here and Facebook. Uh, this the similarities are eerie. Okay, so the future freshman that goes nowhere again, uh, April 2011. uh, So it's it's Evan's junior year and uh, Murphy uh, Bobby's graduated and um, Evan's hanging out one day and his fraternity brother also in Kappa Sigma Reggie Brown, uh, who is a classmate of Evan's and a close friend. um, he, uh, He he comes running up to Evan and he's like, I've got an idea for an app. Uh oh, uh oh, and um, and he's like, I, I sent this, uh, I sent this picture to this girl uh, last night. Apparently, this is all, uh, as we will discuss in a minute. This is all in um, discussed in the courts in legal filings. Um, and I, I got this idea for an app that you can make pictures disappear. And supposedly, Evan gets really excited and repeatedly calls it a quote million dollar idea. One
1: million dollars, which he denies, I believe, in the court proceedings that he ever said anything about the the million, but but did acknowledge he was very excited.
0: Yes. So they get really excited. The two of them, Reggie and Evan, they recruit Bobby again. This point, Bobby's graduated. He's got a real job. He comes back. He becomes the CTO of the company. Uh, and Evan just conveniently happens to be in a design class at Stanford where uh, they build a product in and in a company in the class. And the, the Wait, f- did,
1: was this actually part of his... Like he worked on this in a class?
0: Yeah, so they, <laughs> they, they submit this, this idea, this app that they're building. They decide to call it Peekaboo. Um, they submit it as their project for the class, as Evan's project. And the, uh, the uh, final day of the class... There's a panel of esteemed venture capitalists that judge all of these, these projects in the class. And so, you know, they work really hard during the semester, during the quarter and, um, and they get the, get the app, you get a prototype done. It's actually at this point, it's a website. It's not even on a phone. You have to submit a photo on a website. Right.
1: You have to like click the choose file button on your computer. I mean, that's a mess.
0: It was janky. Uh, and, uh, and it goes over, like a lead balloon, <laughs> the uh, the the app of esteemed VC judges hates it. Apparently, um, according to an interview with Evan, one of them suggests maybe they should talk to Best Buy about a partnership. I don't know what that would be. Maybe with like cameras or something. <laughs> uh, so not uh, uh, not uh, not an auspicious start to um, the early days of Snapchat. Um, but undaunted they decide to keep working on it. Uh, so they spend the whole summer uh, after that quarter uh, working on the app um, and they work really hard and they grow the app. And by the end of the summer, they have 127 users.
1: Which uh, having worked on a couple of consumer things that, that um, didn't work and actually working on one now, it is like so terrifying when you see these kind of like super low numbers and then everything you're reading about in the press has insanely high consumer engagement, and you're like, I need three to four more orders of magnitude before this is anything meaningful. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's almost inspirational that they only had, had 127 users. We're done all
0: summer. So we're now roughly six months into the life of what would become Snapchat. They have 127 users. Uh, at the end of the summer, there's also, unfortunately, a, a big argument occurs between evan and bobby and reggie and evan and bobby kick reggie out of the company um then uh then the summer ends and,
1: and that uh, that argument came right around the time or part of the same discussion is when they're figuring out their equity splits right
0: yeah i think it was prompted by figuring out the equity splits
1: which boy is that a, a lesson for founders out there to have that thing early before people start to feel like they're um they've already you know contributed and earned more than than um the rest of the group thinks
0: I mean, unless your strategy is really Machiavellian and you want to push your co-founders out of the company and get more equity for yourself.
1: Yeah. Have that discussion early.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I, we would recommend having. <laughs> Pro tip, have that have the equity discussion early. Um, so the app's still going nowhere. The summer ends. Evan heads back to Stanford for his senior year. Um Bobby's like, "Hey, I need a job," so he he takes a job at another startup yeah, in San Francisco. Yeah, I read Francisco.
1: that. That blows my mind. They that like they left the app in the store. They literally and went put back it on ice. Wow.
0: Um, and uh, and around the same time, more bad news. They get a cease and desist order from another startup called Peekaboo that I think is also in the photo space, uh, telling them they need to stop using the name. So Snapchat or Peekaboo is on the ropes at this point. You know they need to change the name. They come up, they brainstorm, they come up with
1: Snapchat. And they kept the ghost. I'm I'm pretty sure Brown yeah, actually came up with the the um the ghost logo. That was his his contribution before he got kicked out of the company.
0: Yep, I think that's right. Um, so one other thing happens in the fall as as Stanford classes are starting again, uh, and it turns out to be really important, and that's that. Evan's mom, this is all this is all according to articles on the internet, including a a big, really good um, uh, profile in Forbes uh, on uh, on um, on Evan Spiegel that that is a lot of our source material here. Um, Evan's mom uh, is tells her niece who's in high school in Orange County. uh, So this is Evan's cousin who's a high schooler in Orange County about this app that Evan's working on. And her niece down, downloads it and uh, thinks it's really cool and starts using it with her friends in high school. And, and one of the reasons that it, they start using it is that you don't need to use it on a phone. You can use it on an iPad because, um, you know, it works, it works on iPads too. And, and with the iPads that their school, their, you know, Tony uh, private school in Orange County had given them, they had them locked down. So you couldn't like, you know, text, you know, use iMessage.
1: Yeah, uh, I think I read something. They, they also made it so you couldn't install Facebook. Yeah. which is actually it is incredibly ironic that the fact that those iPads didn't have Facebook is why they needed a different way to communicate so they installed Snapchat. So
0: they installed like this like random cousins app so that they could, you know, text each other <laughs> during the day with their school iPads in Orange County. Wow. Crazy. So it sweeps through this school, then it starts sweeping through other high schools in Orange County. Uh, then it moves up the state and, uh, and then it moves into um, other high schools in, in Northern California and in Silicon Valley. Um, and the, the growth takes off. So by December of um, 2011, uh, Snapchat is up to just over 2,000 users. The next month, January, 20,000 users. A couple months later in April, 100,000 users.
1: So there's an order of magnitude growth in a month and then a f- another 5x the next month?
0: Uh, in in the next two to three months to after three. that. Wow. Um, and uh, th- this is the proverbial hockey stick. <laughs> they have found it. <clears throat> so all of a sudden they need to pay the server cost because they're hosting a lot of photos at this point.
1: Well, and the incredible thing too, I mean, a lot of the time you're trying to make that product tweak to get you to that, that hockey stick. But this was truly like the product was stagnant. And it was like it,
0: find, it literally didn't change anything.
1: Finding the right market, and it's not like they even found it. It's like it finally insidious. Literally, found Evan's its mom the found
0: game. the right market for them.
1: Wow, <laughs> I mean, these things. It's almost like you shouldn't try to learn lessons from these things as founders because they're such extreme outliers. That that it's almost like like chasing a true <laughs> chasing a unicorn to try and to try and duplicate <laughs> this sort of success.
0: Good, uh, good choice of words. Um, so at this point, you know they're now it's now April. They're at a hundred thousand users. Um, they're they're I don't know if they're using AWS or Snapchat now uses Google computer Engine. Um, if they were using that at that point, but they they got to start paying the server bills.
1: Yeah, they're like by far the largest tenant, I think.
0: Yep on 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 GCE. Yep. Um, today, uh, so they raise a seed round four hundred eighty five thousand dollars from Lightspeed at a uh, four and a quarter million dollar valuation. I think that was the pre-money. So, but effectively, Lightspeed gets about 10% of the company for less than $500,000.
1: And at which point, uh, Evan is furiously refreshing his his, uh, Wells Fargo app, I think, in in class, as the story goes. And as soon as he watches it hit, he walks down, he says goodbye to the professor, and he drops out of, of class, or drops out of Stanford, like months before graduating.
0: Yeah. It's, it's April. Graduation is in, is in like May, June. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah He literally drops the mic in the middle of the class. This is according to Evan. Yeah. Um, once the money hits the bank account and walks out the door and never comes back.
1: Yeah, and if you were in that class, we would love you to join the Slack team and yeah. let us know how it really went down. But that's what we're going <laughs> off of.
0: That's what we're going off of. Um, and uh, so <clears throat> walks out, uh, moves down to L.A., convinces Bobby to come down. They shack up at his dad's house in uh, in L.A. They convince a bunch of their friends from Stanford to also drop out of school months from graduation, come down, join the company, and start working on it. And then for basically the rest of 2012, that's when the core of Snapchat as we know it today gets built. Um, so they shack up in L.A., work for the whole summer. Um, in October, they launch on Android. And when they launch on Android, they announce that they are now serving 20 million snaps per day, uh, in October of 2012, uh, December of 2012, they add the next big, uh, pillar of Snapchat, which is video. Um, and then also in December of 2012, Mark Zuckerberg has heard about this app, uh, and he sends an email to Evan Spiegel.
1: He has, and it does seem that he had, had heard of it a little bit earlier since kind of quietly, um, <laughs> I do not said Microsoft, Facebook had been working on an app called Poke. They were reviving the old name of the, the feature that we all know from, from early on in, in Facebook use that really never gets used today to basically create a, a clone, and actually from a, a UX perspective, a very excellent clone um, of Snapchat. And when Zuck um, does does meet with Evan, it's kind of an interesting story of how he how he gets there. Um, Zuck says, Hey, why don't you come hang out at Facebook? Evan says, Oh, next time I'm up in the Bay Area. Evan I think follows up and says something like, Why don't you come down here? So Zuck actually flies down to to meet uh, Evan at, at Snapchat's headquarters. I think there's there's a whole story about them them getting like a, a private them renting a private apartment to have this thing. But Zuck walks in with a plan. And he basically says, hey, here's how I would do Snapchat um, and sort of how I see your role in the world and how I could uh, could see this all playing out. And it's this grandiose vision and it's quite impressive. And he ends with saying, and we're going to be launching poke next week. It's not an offer to buy them. It's not like it's like we are going to. This is not the
0: acquisition offer. (laughs) This is not the acquisition offer you've been looking for
1: is not. And um, so Zuck flies home, uh, you know, Evan, I, I think as the, um, the story goes, and I, I feel like this might be over dramatized, but, um, the book is the art of war. Yeah. <laughs> and Evan re- gets his whole team, a copy of the art of war and they all are. Sun
0: Tzu's the art of war. Yes. They, they all read Evan it. Evan Spiegel's cover. carve out for the week.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was the guest we were going to have on. And, um, and, they, uh, watch carefully as poke launches. Um, Evan had deleted his Facebook account. So he goes to Bobby and has him check out poke. And sure enough, it's, it's great. But the thing that's even greater is all the buzz that happens for Snapchat by poke launching.
0: Yeah. And I believe it, you know, Evan then is, is, is quoted as saying like, this was, this is basically like Merry Christmas to Snapchat when Facebook did this because, <laughs> It brought so much attention to the platform. Like the second word out of everybody's mouth when talking about this huge launch that Facebook was publicizing was Snapchat.
1: Yeah, it's so and, and a couple interesting observations here. One um, that's a super common thing. I think that a lot of the times, uh, I, I know this actually at, firsthand, I made a to-do list manager similar to Reminders for the iPhone before Reminders launched. And when Reminders launched, we were like, oh my God, we're dead. Apple Sherlocked us. And Sherlocking is a reference to Apple back in the day launching an app built into the platform called Sherlock um, that put all the other search apps out of business. I think I have that story, right? It might have been called Search. Ah, yeah. The app was called Sherlock, and then Apple built Spotlight. Anyway,
0: ah, yeah, yeah,
1: something like that. The um, but what it did for us as a a to-do list was make a lot of people realize they needed a to-do list manager, and maybe they didn't like the the generic one that that Apple launched. Same thing with Instapaper when Apple launched the the um, what is it, read later service that's built into the OS Safari, and and uh, sales for Instapaper spiked. So it's kind of an interesting like. don't be and, so afraid of the big guy launching yep. your your feature.
0: And in this particular case, as is so much evidence, I mean, the reason we're spending so much time on the history and facts here is like, this is amazing. Like, you couldn't make this stuff up. No, this um,
1: is, and, and it's this is like wonderfully dramatic and like it couldn't have been scripted any better. That and
0: we know it all from both court cases and <laughs> interviews that uh, that Evan's given with with media outlets.
1: Yeah, and here's the part that gets me. like f- Snapchat? Is could you could argue it's already today, but could at one point be an existential threat to Facebook? The reason they got installed on those iPads was because Facebook was being blocked and they needed something else, and then the reason that they got this huge boost in downloads right before Christmas that year was because Facebook gave them a gift. I mean, they launched, like, Snapchat and then made everyone go to... Well, and this
0: was such a legitimizing moment for Snapchat because until then, to the extent anybody talked about it, it was like, oh, that's just for sexting.
1: Right, right, I remember that. And I remember the turning point, too, where I started realizing, okay, we'll talk about this in Tech Trends, but, like, okay, my friends are using this for, like really telling me the story of their life as it's actually happening without trying to make themselves look perfect. And this was before Snapchat stories, but I remember getting Snapchats and realizing these are pictures people would never put on Facebook. And yet yep. I'm engaging with these people all day, every day. And none of like, maybe I'm not cool. I don't know. None of them were sexting. Like every yep. single one that I would get from someone is just like, this is like a candid casual peek into my life. And that. I kept trying to tell that narrative and I I was even later, some people were trying to tell me that narrative, but I wanted to make the joke. And I remember trying to tell that narrative to people at work and my family and everyone's like, uh, it was like taboo to have it installed on your phone because it was known as the app for sexting. Yep. And you're right. It's
0: totally legitimized it. Totally legitimizing it. Um, so just two short months later, February, 2013, three huge pivotal, pivotal moments for Snapchat. Uh, First, they announced that they're now seeing 60 million snaps per day going through the platform. Second, they raised their Series A. They raised $13.5 million from uh, from Benchmark um, at about a $70 million valuation. Uh, and interestingly, there was actually Matt Kohler at Benchmark who first kind of identified Snapchat and started making inroads with them. And then uh, Mitch Lasky ended up uh, leading the deal and joining the board for Benchmark. Um, but Matt had been, uh, well, first he was very early employee at LinkedIn. Um, but then he was, a very, I think, one of the first five employees at Facebook. Um, and then when he left Facebook to join Benchmark, his first deal that he did
1: was Instagram. And not a terrible track record.
0: Not a terrible track record. So here's here's this guy, you know, this firm that has, uh, uh, and this group of people that have such intimate history with Facebook and Zuckerberg, and then Facebook's first foray into their next suite in their constellation of mobile apps with Instagram, now leading the Series A in Snapchat. Uh, this, like,
1: Shakespearean drama continues.
0: And so then, the third event that happens in February of 2013 <laughs> is that poor Reggie Brown, the uh, the erstwhile um, third co-founder. Suddenly, he re- he's moved back home to South Carolina at this point. Again, you can't make this stuff up. Um, and he realizes that Snapchat might be worth a lot of money, and he sues the company and claims that he's due uh, one-third ownership stake in Snapchat.
1: Which actually does work out pretty well for him. Um, I think uh, he was seeking... that It ended up getting resolved. Um, it was seeking um, damages of, I think, like half a billion dollars. And uh, they settled out of court, but I, I think it was in the, the hundreds, of, hundreds of millions. Rumored to be. no, Nobody knows. Yeah. Um, that is one court case that did not yeah. leak. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for, to that court case for happening, though, because we got this great story to tell. Much like um, this,
1: the same thing with the YouTube Sequoia memo. Yeah. We're getting all kinds of great stuff here from the courts.
0: Um, so then, you know, after that, it's kind of like, you know, inevitable. So April 2013, 150 million snaps a day. June 2013 which is just, what is, what is that, four months four months after they raised their Series A? They raised a, they raised a Series B of $80 million for, led by IVP at an $800 million valuation. So literally over 10 times the valuation of the Series A four months later.
1: And I remember at this time, people were not sure this was sustainable. People were like, people oh, thought it was crazy. it's going to be a fad. And yeah. I remember making the argument that the UI was terrible and what they were doing was commodity and... I remember people talking about like, are they going to charge for it? Are there going to be ads for it? And I remember thinking what they're doing is so simple and easily buildable in the weekend that as soon as somebody clones it and builds one that's free or there's no ads, everyone's just going to move to that. And that like made sense to me at the time that it, it seemed like they, they uh, young
0: didn't. Young Ben, you uh, were not yet schooled in the power the of the network, network effects.
1: effects. <laughs> yep. 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 Boy, it is a mighty moat.
0: Oh boy. Is it ever? Um, so that was June, August of 2013. <laughs> Facebook is getting desperate at this point. They release a feature in messenger that allows you to post to Instagram from messenger.
1: <laughs> oh yeah.
0: <laughs> like this is gonna, you know, like take down Snapchat, um, September, 2013, 350 million snaps per day. Snapchat announces October, 2013. They launched stories, which are incredible that we'll, we'll and get that, into that later. Was game changing. Totally game changing. Um, and then finally, November 2013, uh, rumored um, but but leaked to many, many press outlets, including the Wall Street Journal, uh, Mark Zuckerberg makes an offer to buy Snapchat for $3 billion.
1: He does. And, you know, there's no, um, nobody knows exactly where the leak came from there. I think zuckerberg sort of alleged and we know this from the sony email leaks zuckerberg alleged that um it was uh it was a tactic by evan um you know evan throws back that it could have just as easily been zuckerberg to try and 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 dampen their fundraising efforts rather than bolster them um but anyway there's no it never really comes to fruition and all we know is that the, the offer was happen. made
0: it didn't we know the offer was made we know it didn't happen but it, it's pretty i mean you both have to put yourself in Mark Zuckerberg's shoes here. Less than a year ago, he flew down to LA and he basically sat there, you know, according to, you know, what what we've what's been disclosed uh, and what we can read about. He sat there and he told Evan, you know, how to build Snapchat and how he would do it and what the right way to do it is. And oh, by the way, Facebook was just going to do it. So, you know, good luck with your little app. And then less than a year later, he's he's again sitting there offering to pay three billion dollars in cash for this little app
1: which is is three Instagrams keep in mind whatsapp hasn't happened yet so this seems absolutely yep. preposterous I mean I, I uh, I'm just sitting there thinking you know later on we're gonna kind of judge like should <coughs> they should they have offered more or um, you know what should they have done after or what should Zuck have done after it was declined um, but you know it, it seems crazy and yeah. at, and at the time you got to think like okay why does wh- why does facebook need to do this what is facebook's core competency that is the 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 mighty moat that they can't have upended and you know that's that's effectively owning your attention because then they get to choose what to do with your attention how much to to use for advertising where to point it in terms of articles or friends how to weight all that but facebook their number one holy grail metric is engagement and how much can they keep you engaging and hold your attention in a day? And Snapchat is is just like the the perfect storm of more engaging.
0: Yeah, and that's, you know, um, well, we'll jump into acquisition category had it happened in a minute. But, um, you know, fast forward to today in, in May of 2016. And it's interesting, you know, Snapchat... Um, is growing super fast and i'm sure will reach a large number of users at some point but their their dau the the daily active users that they report is about 100 million
1: now which is about a, a tenth of facebook right about a now.
0: tenth of facebook um and is i believe smaller than twitter well twitter's mau i think is like three four hundred million maybe
1: it's like 300 and whatever it is it hasn't grown meaningfully in a while
0: yeah um but but you know ben hit on engagement and that that is the key here with snapchat i mean so today um they're close it with 100 million daily active users they're closing in on about uh, just about 1 billion snaps every single day so that's for every active user on the platform that's 10 snaps per daily active user per day
1: and 60% of people who use snapchat daily snap every day themselves.
0: Yeah. So this totally Snapchat totally blows up the, you know, the old um paradigm that, you know, 90% of your users on a social platform, you know, won't create content and Ten percent will, and one percent will be super users. Like sixty yeah. percent are super users.
1: Yeah, like if you think about like a Reddit type website or something, you're going to get ninety percent lurking, just just being the the consumers. Nine percent are um, are commenting, and then one percent are are actually originating the content that creates the the uh, the conversation on the site. And and you know <laughs> what? They just completely upended it by making it stupid easy to create.
0: Literally stupid easy.
1: Yeah, like I remember, I, it actually works to their advantage that it still looks like this and it's sort of their brand. But I remember thinking that it was like kind of hackish and amateurish. That the best way that they could think to overlay text over any image was by just like, ah, screw it, we'll make the whole line dark behind there, <laughs> and like ah, ship it. It just it just felt so crummy to me. But like now it's it's become if you see that anywhere, you are like, oh, that's a that's a screenshot in Snapchat. Like they should just do billboards of that because that's their brand at this point. Yeah. Well, and
0: it's interesting, you know, I mean, this is one of the reasons why we spent so much time on the history, a, because the story's amazing, but B, I mean, it's clear that Evan is an incredibly talented, um, you know, product visionary. Um, it's not like, you know, Snapchat's, uh, Snapchat's look and feel and brand in a lot of ways is as Ben, as you were saying, super janky, but like,
1: it's intentional, right? Or is it pioneering, David? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they really do all these all these UI paradigms are like so foreign the first time you use the app, and we're having so many people now that they're kind of breaking north of their 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 um, uh, stereotypical age group into into more adult usage. Um, people like being, saying, "I don't know how to use Snapchat? And I need my kids to teach me." And you know that that's always true with any new technology, but. Y- Putting on my iOS developer hat, the easiest thing to do when creating an app is to create a table view with a, a navigation bar at the top, and then a little drill down, just like when iPhone OS launched in 2007. Yep. And what Snapchat's really done is say, like, nope. You open it up, and it's in camera mode, and then everything is gestural from there. And once you learn it, you get incredibly fast at that, and it's like its own language and grammar.
0: Yep. And and one of the things there was a a great article shoot, I can't remember where, we'll find it in the, um, and link to it in the show notes that just came out. Um, another, one of many profiles of Evan and of the company. And, um, one of the things it talks about, you know, it's notoriously been hard to work for Evan and there's been a lot of employee turnover at Snapchat. Um, but one of the things it says in there is that like the, any discussion of like well we need we have problem x or we need to do thing y and so we should just look at what you know other people have done on that like what did google do what did facebook do like what did instagram do like like that'll get you fired like right away like the culture they have and that evan tries to cultivate there is like i don't care what other people have done in the past like we're doing things our way here um Which I think you, I mean, you really got to admire Like it's what's, it's what's gotten Snapchat to where it is.
1: Yeah. And this is, I'm going to, I'm going to pull forward my um, tech trends, but uh, there's some interesting things there because they're doing a lot of things mobile first in a way that I wouldn't have known the current users or the current um, products weren't doing mobile first. One of their big sells, and we'll talk about their uh, revenue model right now is um, vertical video advertising. And for the first time, they're forcing content creation to appear in the way that is the most immersive on your phone. And I think if they're looking at others, they say, okay, well, how do people do ad units? Oh, it's a feed, or oh, they repurpose, you know, letterboxed video, or they make people turn it sideways. And that wouldn't be as engaging. I mean, it's a harder path to go this way, but it's, uh, you know, I think it's fair to say product visionary that everything is completely rethought in this absolute mobile first way. They also have basically... I mean, they, they changed the way that they, they, um, do, uh, user growth and and adding your friends with snap codes. I mean, that is the, that is the first time I've seen QR codes used effectively in the wild. And I think that, you know, if you go get a Facebook product manager or you go and get, you know, someone who's worked at, at LinkedIn or or Google, you ask like, Oh, how should we do like an invite system? And if, and an adding friends system, there's like a templated way to know how to do that. And this is so different. It's like, what do you mean if they're probably right next to each other so it will be will it be easy to just show the screen to the other screen? Yeah, okay, cool Snapcode accomplished yeah. or what if and they interestingly make it their that was picture? an
0: acquisition they acquired the technology behind the qr code
1: oh nice yeah. well, I guess um, good, good on them for for you know seeing the opportunity to to do something new and novel there rather yeah. than re-implementing the playbook. but it's
0: but it, it's a really good point Ben and I think that's something that um you could almost say is like a dirty little secret of silicon valley like there's actually not that much innovation that happens you know uh it's really rare i mean i was yeah somebody like,
1: in the facebook mo- or the paypal mafia figures it out once and then everyone does and then it the, that forever. playbook
0: gets disseminated to everybody and like it's it's really hard i mean i, I was emailing with a founder i work with today and we're facing a problem and i was like oh well we should uh let's look at how you know stripe dealt with this because like they dealt with this problem so we should probably like do what they did You know, and like it's really dangerous thinking, Um, but it's also difficult to know. And it's difficult to know how to do what's right when when you're doing something new um, and how much to take from the playbook because it is the right thing and how much to be the innovator.
1: Yeah. We want to thank our longtime friend of the show, Vanta, the leading trust management platform. Vanta, of course, automates your security reviews and compliance efforts. So frameworks like SOC 2, ISO 27001, GDPR, and HIPAA compliance and monitoring, Vanta takes care of these otherwise incredibly time and resource draining efforts for your organization and makes them fast and simple.
0: Yep, Vanta is the perfect example of the quote that we talk about all the time here on Acquired, Jeff Bezos, his idea that a company should only focus on what actually makes your beer taste better, i.e. spend your time and resources only on what's actually going to move the needle for your product and your customers and outsource everything else that doesn't. Every company needs compliance and trust with their vendors and customers. It plays a major role in enabling revenue because customers and partners demand it, but yet it adds zero flavor to your actual product.
1: Vanta takes care of all of it for you. No more spreadsheets, no fragmented tools, no manual reviews to cobble together your security and compliance requirements. It is one single software pane of glass. That connects to all of your services via APIs and eliminates countless hours of work for your organization. There are now AI capabilities to make this even more powerful, and they even integrate with over 300 external tools. Plus, they let customers build private integrations with their internal systems. And perhaps most importantly, your security
0: reviews are now real-time instead of static, so you can monitor and share with your customers and partners to give them added confidence.
1: So whether you're a startup or a large enterprise and your company is ready to automate compliance and streamline security reviews like Vanta's 7,000 customers around the globe and go back to making your beer taste better, head on over to Vanta.com acquired and just tell them that Ben and David sent you. And thanks to friend of the show, Christina, Vanta's CEO, all acquired listeners get $1,000 of free credit. Vanta.com acquired. Okay, so I think for the structure of the show, what we'll do now is we'll We'll dive into category. What would have happened otherwise? We can talk through a little bit, um, and we'll kind of wait all the way till we get to render a conclusion to talk about their current business. Does that sound good to you? Sounds good to me. All right, sweet. So acquisition category, I was torn on this, and here's here's how I'll I'll frame it. If they had actually gotten the acquisition done when they did, it would have been, or when they made the offer. Um, that would have been a product acquisition. They were buying one single product that people all over the place were using in the exact same way. At this point, it would be a business line. It is many products rolled into one. I mean, they've got Stories and Discover and uh, the traditional Snapchat model. And they they have several different ad units that they sell in there. And those are all different products for advertisers. And I think that at this point, is it would be like the Snapchat business unit of Facebook rather than, Hey, we bought this one-off app. It has a lot of people using it like WhatsApp. It would, it would truly be like they would need their own ad sales team. They they would need a, a lot of things that wouldn't be able to be factored into Facebook.
0: Yep. I think that's right. Um, the only counterpoint I'd offer um, is maybe this would be, had this actually happened and had uh, Facebook done its thing and just left it alone, Um, and all of the growth and innovation that's happened at Snapchat had also happened. I think you'd almost argue that this would be a new category, which would be like a wholly independent company within another company.
1: Um, yeah. And then, okay. So
0: because it's because it's all of it, right? Like it's the people, it's the technology, it's the product, it's the like the way the business operates. All of these things are just wholly different from Facebook.
1: Yeah. And this is, um, in
0: a way that Instagram and WhatsApp really aren't
1: yeah so let's play that out so now we're into what would have happened otherwise um if the acquisition had gone through this is pre-revenue for snapchat yep does facebook kind of have their way with it and, and start gathering more information about the Snapchat user, or even better yet, they probably find a way to just tie those together on the phone where they say, oh, this person's logged in as Facebook here. They ask you to log in as Facebook with Facebook once in the Snapchat app so they can tie it together. Much like with Instagram, then an advertiser can target you in multiple ways and can say, You know, I'm going to use the same ad dashboard, I get the same targeting capabilities, and I'm going to target this Snapchat user as if they were any other Facebook user, but I want to reach them when they're having this aha moment instead of when they're in the Facebook app, you know, reading about XYZ. I think... I think that's absolutely would have happened because they would have used that common ad platform and continue to leverage it and make it even easier for advertisers to advertise on multiple mediums. And that is very different than the ad yeah. strategy that Snapchat is doing now.
0: Yeah, that's this is what makes this. Um, well, listeners are the judge of whether this is interesting or not. Um, but to me, what makes this so interesting is like since the, the spurned acquisition offer, Snapchat has really like. Totally gone off and become the anti Facebook. Um, and that goes not just through the product um, and the consumer facing aspects of it, but through the whole advertising platform as well. Um, I mean, Evan talks about and promises that they will never do creepy targeting. You know, there is, uh, that is, Snapchat is a brand advertising platform and they will not track users, they will not collect data. Privacy is core to. What Snapchat is, um, and that's just um, that's just anathema to the Facebook and in a lot of ways the Google way of of doing advertising.
1: Yeah, and as you bring that up, this is something we were talking about earlier, it makes me think about okay, so they're not going to have a million checkboxes and drill downs like I can use on a, a Facebook ad dashboard. And I was looking into it; all, all they can, all you can target on on Snapchat is. Um, Geographic location Age You get reporting on how many people Opened your, your, um, your Snap And Then you get to choose If you appear in a live story Or what discover channel you appear on So you basically get live story program Discover channel location And or gender and then you get Number of people who opened pretty primitive. So yep. if I'm trying to do any conversion-based advertising, that's right out. It's it's extremely expensive and I can't quantify it. And I don't know if I'm actually reaching my core to customers. But if I'm Coca-Cola, that sounds like a killer brand advertising platform. I can make sure people see it. They're like in this moment of discovery when they're looking for it. It's fully immersive on their screen. You know, I design it. And its, I can
0: target based on content.
1: Right. That's the other thing. So that you, you have contextual. And location yeah contextual targeting the location is like getting a little bit into the the um you know it would be more interesting to me from a conversion perspective but also interesting from a brand yeah but perspective.
0: i mean things like uh like i think about you know snapchat like one of the places where it's really flourished is coachella and places like that right so like i can target people who are at coachella
1: right right and the, and the big obvious thing here is there's no links on snapchat so i'm never leaving the platform it's not like they could link me out to go buy a product anyway it's it's Purely one directional television style advertising
0: yeah and this is like this is the kind of stuff like let's say I'm you know Coca-Cola again Um, you know if I'm advertising on Facebook I'm just blasting I can target super granularly in the heck out of people but like they're probably not that interested in drinking a Coke while they're on Facebook but like if I target people who are at Coachella like and it's hot out, you know, maybe they want to drink a Coke, you know, or, or, or when I target based on that's location, which is secondary here, but, but content wise. So like all the discover channel, you know, uh, you know, ESPN or taste made, you know, um, I want to advertise to people who are interested in cooking. I'm, uh, you right. know, I'm, um, you know, Betty Crocker or whatever. Like I could advertise on Facebook to people who list cooking as one of their preferences, but they're not cooking when they're on Facebook. But when they're watching Taste Made and watching cooking shows, then Mm -hmm. I can. Then they're in the mode for.
1: I I don't know if the context is better. Like I look at it like you're not. The nature of brand advertising is that you're not going to go and like transact on that and close the loop at anywhere near that moment. It's that it's like stored in your head, and um, I think that the context doesn't matter. But the richness of the ad does. You
0: don't it's, think it's, there are psychological associations between content and advertising?
1: Oh, I do. I just don't think that um, seeing an ad on Facebook is contextually worse than seeing it on Snapchat. I'm already in entertainment mode. I could see that yeah. if you're if you're advertising to me when I'm on a Google search and I'm on a quest for an inf- information and I'm like Coca Cola, get yeah. out of here right now. But on Facebook, like you know, I'm open yeah. to being entertained. A- anyway, my, I guess the point I'm making is. I think the context of Snapchat isn't necessarily any better, but since they're doing brand ads and you have the opportunity to create a much more rich advertisement, that it makes it a more valuable brand platform because you don't actually care about that granular of targeting.
0: Fair enough. I still think, like, you know, when I'm on ESPN and Discover and I get Axe body spray, I mean, I would never wear Axe body spray, but Uh (laughs) Uh so I claim on the internet. (laughs) Um, But like, I don't know. I I, like to the extent you could make an argument that television is still very valuable. It's like, this is the argument,
1: which which you absolutely can say. So here's, here's, we're getting into my render conclusion, but I think Snapchat's opportunity is enormous because. Brand advertising currently is and has always been much larger than than transaction based advertising. I'm not sure conversion based advertising. I don't know the uh, direct would. response. Direct response. That's yeah. There you go. Um, and advertising stays relatively fixed uh, as a percentage of the GDP. It's between one and 1.4 percent of the GDP ever since the notion of of you know advertising was was invented in the United States. And so. With that staying about flat, you know the GDP will grow some. But um, with that staying, a, a, you know about fixed, it's about allocation. And if brand advertising is 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 and sort of will always be more significant than direct response, right now a lot more brand dollars are spent on television still than anywhere else. And now it's a race to what platform can effectively steal from television advertising and that's where i think snapchat's real yeah. opportunity is it's, it's well, can they be you know the, the television of the future
0: there's no good place really to do it online right now i mean we we did a past show on youtube you know youtube's kind of the best place to do brand advertising online right now and it's still got a bunch of problems and people skip ads and all that stuff you know whereas yeah. you know y- yes you can skip ads on snapchat but like just the whole Modality of the product is so much more immersive, and so are the ads.
1: They're 10 seconds, and you kind of want to skip them less. Like, I want to skip an ad when I'm watching Discover as much as I want to skip one of my friend's stories that I'm not interested in. Basically, like, I've got 10 seconds. If you can captivate me, I'm good for 10 seconds. Whereas on YouTube, like, running a pre roll for a minute where I have to wait five seconds, I'm just going to skip after five seconds every single time I possibly can because it's not designed to be watched all the way through for the impatient person. and Snapchat Especially not is, on mobile. Especially not on mobile. Great point. And Snapchat is like totally piggybacking, now we're in tech trends, but totally piggybacking on our completely, you know, uh, our culture that is not able to pay attention to things for very long. And we end up watching i was talking to someone else today watching a snap for 10 seconds watching another snap for 10 seconds and maybe like 10 minutes go by and you end up completely immersed in in something where you could have watched a whole television show in there but it was cut up in small enough content where i was continually entertained
0: and again back to like even instagram and you know as our listeners know we're big fans of instagram but like you got to scroll through the damn feed
1: you do you do and god as a as a completionist it kills me that it snaps to the top every time so i have this like fear of opening instagram now because what if i get partway down and then there's some pictures that i missed like snapchat doesn't have that because everything in it the understanding is like it's sort of unimportant and it'll go away anyway so i can just check it at my leisure
0: and literally you just open the app and maybe you like you know you open the app you swipe left you tap and now with stories auto playing to the next story, that's all you got to do.
1: Yeah, I think their average time v- uh, viewed an app right now is like thirty minutes. I mean, they command a tremendous amount of attention. Thirty
0: minutes with two taps and one
1: swipe. Yeah, I mean it's 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 the attention war. I mean that's what this really comes down to from between Facebook and and uh, and Snapchat. And I was actually, this is another um, great conversation I was having earlier this week, uh, Instagram redesigned. And boy, is it gorgeous. It just shows off just the content. Yep. We won't talk yep. about the icon, but inside it is like so nice. You're not digging the pink? No. But somebody raised a great point to me that the world sort of shifted and now Instagram is a museum. Instagram, inherently, I put less content on it because it's like a showcase and it reflects on me forever. And when you when you go to Snapchat, the my response was well, Snapchat's like a crowded bar. Like there's you know, there's content flying everywhere, it's 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 loose, it's fun, and like that just creates a platform that is just commanding of way, way more attention than that museum feel.
0: How much relative time do you spend in museums versus bars?
1: Yeah, well, I might be non representative. <laughs> but, but maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Yeah. Anyway, all right. Um
0: let's uh let's let's start driving this towards home. Um okay, uh Tech trends.
1: Uh, you know, I think we, we touched on all mine.
0: Um, yeah, mostly mine too. Um, but I'll just call it out again. Um, we've talked about this on the show. I think it's maybe been one of my tech trends in the past. But a oh, perfect example of start small. You know, <laughs> like they started with nothing. Um, but start small, nail it for one audience and grow from there. And I mean, they didn't even do this intentionally. But like, you know... <laughs> The use case of I want to text with my friends and Facebook is blocked on my iPad, like solve that, then solve the next thing. Um, Classic case.
1: Yep. 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 Um, And as Paul Graham says with that, try and get to the next order of magnitude of customers and don't focus on the far future because contrary to what you might think in startups, you can implement a hill climbing algorithm and there are not local maxima. So don't be afraid that you're going to hit a, a false peak. Just keep hitting the next peak and you'll especially be able to get to the in, higher peak. Especially
0: in, in consumer-facing
1: yes. companies. Yes. Yeah, I guess it's probably, probably
0: not the same in enterprise, but...
1: Yeah. And I'm not sure I totally agree with that premise, but I, I sure like it from a inspirational perspective. All right. Conclusion. So so normally we would we would throw out like, was it a good decision to make this acquisition? And so I was thinking for this one, you know, was it a good idea if you're a Snapchat shareholder to, you know, decline this offer? Uh, and David has a, a more interesting framework, I think, because because that one's that one's just a sure thing, right? It's like, oh, I'm a, I'm a Snapchat shareholder. Do I want to be worth $3 billion or the $16 billion it is valued on paper today and will likely continue to grow? So David, what's your, your framework?
0: So um, I thought we could do uh, grade Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook for the decision to walk away after the $3 billion versus trying harder to make the acquisition happen likely at a higher price.
1: Yeah. And this one's interesting because I think it presents a little bit more than just like obvious shareholder value. It gets into, you know... The more you're sending offers back and forth, the more likely to leak, um, the more you worry about your team back at Facebook, like we saw with the WhatsApp acquisition being like, nine, wait, $19 billion we paid for what? And then sort of having to justify that. There might be like a personal pride thing on the line there. It, at the end of the day, like I'm as I'm talking through the, all this, I think none of it really matters that much. And it was still, a, a, Facebook needed to offer more. Like it was, I I give Facebook an F on not going and bidding higher. I I think this one is like so clear cut at this point. Um, I would love to hear your thoughts though. Yeah. um, I've been thinking about this. Um, I
0: actually, I'm going to be, I'm going to be, our listeners are going to love this. I'm going to be divisive here. I'm going to give them an A. And the reason I'm going to give them an A lay it on me is. Because especially with the direction that Snapchat has gone, I was thinking about this when we were talking about the category. And I was like, oh, it could be like a company within Facebook. Like, never would work. Like, these are just two companies that cannot exist together. Um, and so if I'm Mark Zuckerberg and I'm Facebook, uh, this, this crystallized when you were talking about, like, the reaction within the company of Facebook. Like, okay, let's say he had bid Snapchat Snapchat up to I don't know, $15 billion or $19 billion WhatsApp territory. Um, and then come back in. And then this guy, Evan, would come into the company and basically be like, you know, F you, everybody. Like, I do things completely differently here. I stand for everything that you are not, you know. What would that have done, right? And, like, Facebook has been super successful in the, in the two and a half years since this time. Um, and I think in a lot of ways, really... Crystallize what Facebook is and um and what their you know growth potential is going forward, and they're now what like a three hundred ish billion dollar market cap company. Um, I don't know.
1: Yes, I was thinking about digging in here, but I, I'm I'm trying to think through if Facebook did what I was talking about earlier and kind of like flattened it onto the same platform and made it easy for advertisers like Instagram, if to your point, what if they bid it up to $15 billion? Would they in, in any reasonable time period have gotten $15, $15 billion of advertising revenue out of it? Or would there just have been this implosion beforehand, like you say, of like culture mismatch... Uh, a lot of the um, value that people are attributing to Snapchat right now is because it's on this unique and different trajectory that's more like television advertising than yep. direct response.
0: And could that have existed within Facebook?
1: Right. That's that's a really interesting. If you question. logged
0: in. To, what would Snapchat be like if you logged in with Facebook? That'd be weird.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're only va- they're only they're projected to. Um, Get, earn, earn about three hundred million dollars of revenue this year. So I mean, their their valuation is is like not not based on their current revenues at all. It's it's based on the promise of the future that it can replace television brand advertising. Yep. And I don't know what I would change my grade to, but I totally totally see your argument that that um, you know if Facebook continued to bid this up, they may actually not be able to get that much value of it internally or as much as they can do as an external company. And that's why we need new startups to come and create value that incumbents never could create. Yeah. I mean, this seems like a classic case of, you know,
0: we saw it with poke, like they recreated it, you know, pixel for pixel and it just doesn't work inside Facebook. No. I mean, yeah, there was the network effect mode too, but like, right. right. It was still so small at that point.
1: This is a great time to tell you about one of our very favorite companies, Crusoe.
0: So Crusoe, as listeners know by now, is a clean compute cloud provider specifically built for AI workloads. NVIDIA is one of their major partners, and literally Crusoe's data centers are nothing but racks and racks of A100s and H100s. And because Crusoe's cloud is purpose-built for AI and run on wasted, stranded, or clean energy... They can provide significantly better performance per dollar than traditional cloud providers.
1: Yes, we talked about that on our ACQ2 episode with Crusoe CEO Chase Lockmiller. The other element that makes Crusoe
0: special is the environmental angle. Crusoe, of course, locates their data centers at stranded energy sites. So think oil flares, wind farms that can't use all the energy they generate, etc., and uses that power that would otherwise be wasted to run your AI workloads instead.
1: Yep.
0: As opposed to the other hyperscalers, such as AWS and Google and Azure, who need to build their data centers close to major traffic hubs where the internet happens because they are doing everything in their clouds.
1: Yep. If you, your company, or your portfolio companies would like to use the lower cost and more performant infrastructure for your AI workloads, go to crusocloud.com slash acquired. That's C-R-U-S-O-E cloud com slash acquired, or click the link in the show notes.
0: All right. More in the interest st- of
1: time skipping the carve out today
0: uh yeah we can skip the carve out um if you want to discuss more uh join us on slack in yeah. our slack community
1: yeah because god only knows my my uh opinions are going to continue to waver on this so um we'll see you in there
0: all right till next time who got the truth is it you is it you is it you who got the truth now huh.